0: Welcome to Mind Rolling, and I'm Raghu Marcus. And I'm David
1: Silver, and we're happy to have you with us again.
0: And uh, this is uh, further along in our uh, series uh, that we did on location, our first mind rolling location. And uh, we uh, were fortunate, fortunate enough to uh, be with Ramdas Krishnas, Mirabai Bush and uh, Sharon Salzberg, and uh, we, um, we just are really fortunate uh, with these people because uh, corralling them for this uh, podcast that we're doing was a real joy for us because it gives us so much input, so much new information. And in particular here, this this one coming up is with Mirabai Bush, who has been doing work on mindfulness for many, many, many years through a foundation she started through a nonprofit. Um, and, I mean, they go all the way teaching, you know, people in the Army how to be mindful. I mean, she's amazing. And uh, the kind of information she has is so valuable day to day for anybody. Um, that's what I love about these podcasts, Dave, I mean, we get directly, what we share is is just prime for our own uh, awakening, really.
1: And it is, it is, because Mirabai, besides being a scholar and uh, a marvelous person, uh, she does, you know, talk to everyone. And she talks in, in words that everyone understands, and uh, clearly she's getting through to people who, you know, have never given a thought to yoga, meditation, or mysticism in their life but are gaining by her insights and her pragma- very pragmatic approach. Mirabai is just great. Yeah. You know. While we're at it, we should mention our, our sponsor, uh, audible.com. We've got you know, every book under the sun there to listen to, and we love them. And if you go to our site, you can donate. Well, you, actually, you can get a free book. You don't exactly donate to us. You donate to us indirectly, which is really nice. Uh, for 30 days, if you go to them, uh, you can get a free book and then get any books you want after that, uh, not for free. And we benefit from that. The um, the uh, URL is um, audibletrial dot com slash mindrolling, and uh, it, it's it's appreciated if you use that. Uh, it helps do us. Do you do you have a book to recommend? Well, um, an, an audio book. I I'm a huge fan of Pema Chodron, uh, the the Buddhist teacher who's another. Now you're getting really esoteric. No, Tibetan. no, she's not. That's the whole point about Pema Chodron. I I I don't I can't even read books that are too. Heavy duty. And, and, and this, she is like Mirabai, she speaks right to you. Uh, she has books of all kinds. I'm not going to recommend anyone in particular. Just check her out. And her books are basically, they have titles like When Things Fall Apart. In other words, what do you do when your life is a big mess? That's not exactly esoteric, because mine's a mess just about daily. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I recommend Pay My Children, and I know her work is on there. Jack Cornfield. The, wait a minute. Uh, who, wait, Buddhist, wait. No, is
0: also in there. Yeah. Wait. Yeah i uh, uh,
1: spell it at least. I mean, I you know, come oh, on. Oh, Pema Chodron. It's P-E-M-A. Chodron is C-H-O-D-R-O-N. Thank pay you. Pema Chodron, one of the great teachers. Thank you. And Jack Kornfield, who I mentioned, is is a you can imagine how to spell that. He also has books on Audible.com, and we love him. Um, you know. Do they have books that aren't, you know, you, you keep recommending all well, these they spiritual have, they, books. They Do they have Keith, books on they have Keith sex? Richards, they have Keith Richards' Life book read by Johnny Depp, who you may have heard of, if you want to go there. And I'm sure they've got, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey. I That's don't know. it,
0: right. <laughs> I never read that, but I've heard about it. Yeah. Nor did I. Yeah. Um, and the other ways in which uh, you guys can, can uh, help out here is uh, obviously uh, just hitting the old donate button, which... Uh, David mentioned just go to the site it's right there and then amazon.com amazon.com you go there and hit that link and then everything you buy we get a small piece of so it's like uh it's a great way to help us and it uh, it's no different for you except that you have to remember to go through that portal on our site mindrollingpodcast.com so we we appreciate it all folks uh, this is uh, as I said last week or whatever week um, I said it because I can't remember. But we have been doing this for a few months, and uh, you know, so we are um, just we feel like we've got a nice gathering of folks that are coming to the uh, to the podcast and sharing with us. We're getting lots of mail, and and it really feels good, and we're happy, and we hope you're happy, and if you are. Uh, Be great to help us out. Now, I think we're going to go right in. Dave, are we ready for Mirabai Bush? Yes, here she is on location uh, in Maui. Here we are, Mind Rolling Podcast that's on vacation in Maui. (laughs) 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 At the Open Your Heart in Paradise Retreat, Dave Silver and I, Raghu Marcus, are here with. Nearby Bush. That, is it you? It is. The reason I hesitated was I, I had another old age. It's not <laughs> old age. I had another I'm something sorry, in mind. Okay? Uh-huh. okay. Because my wife who is uh, in the audience here uh-huh. right now said yeah. to me today is heart day, right? Uh, yeah. That today is heart day. It's a it's a day of open hearted connectivity. Mm. And so before I was going to say your name, I was going to give you that nomenclature of you who I have only known in this open-hearted, it's been day-to-day for me for I won't say how many years. <laughs> we won't do it. But uh, we met quite some time ago in India with Ram Dass, seeing our guru, Neem Karoli Baba, who we call Maharaji. And um, we have... Uh, only my only experience of mirabai is in this absolutely open-hearted connective relationship nothing else we've done all sorts of things together we lived together when we came back from india okay. and um you know her son was born in my father's bedroom so we have a tremendous amount of <laughs> connectivity and uh so i, I just uh, mirabai runs or has uh, actually started the contemplativemind.org center and uh, just give us a little, uh, encapsulate what the organization does and what your work is in that.
2: It's a center called the Center for Contemplative Mind and Society and our mission was to bring what we call contemplative practices, meditation, yoga, tai chi, a whole range of practices into mainstream settings um, and make them available uh, in appropriate ways to people in really every sector of society from education to environment, law, uh, business, uh, lots of places. Mm. And, uh... and we did it at a time when there weren't many people doing this at all or any. Uh, so it was
0: now there are quite a few. Now, I haven't had a chance prior to actually just sitting down here with you and tell you much about what David and I had in mind when we, we started the oh, yeah. mind rolling thing. Um, but it is definitely, uh, we have been, uh, there was a pull, and you know some of this, Mirabai and I are on the board of the Love Serve Remember Foundation, Ramdas's foundation, so we do a lot of work there together. Um, and, and you do know that we had a young man who suggested we do podcasts and I, I, we do yeah. these podcasts, Ram Dass Here and Now podcasts, that have uh, a lot of people are entering into this stream through podcasts and, and this guy Duncan Trussell, who we talked about before, mm-hmm. has really uh, been a catalyst for us to introduce us and what we represent and what you and I and David have been involved with over many, many years. To a new generation of people who are absolutely wanting, you know, some. Uh, they want to know how the hell did we do it? And what did we do? What can they do that we ex- experience? What are the things that we get in, got into that helped us supposedly become balanced? Um, now, the, one of the great things that Mirabai is doing now that is absolutely down to earth, okay and absolutely uh, important for anybody outside of having to think of spiritual path or some arcane teaching that they need to follow and it's about mindfulness and so let's please talk about mindfulness.
2: I didn't know what it was going to be, <laughs> That's was great. I thought phew, I do know about that.
1: <laughs>
2: um, well, will these people have heard Sharon?
0: Dr. Sharon's podcast? They might or might not. Uh, it may be that you guys are going to be together in
2: one. Well, um, mindfulness is a form of meditation, but it is a way of being in the moment without judgment, uh, just being with what is in the moment. Um, it's usually taught by. Um, by asking people to bring their awareness to their breath or to some other point but frequently to the breath and then just notice the breath moving in and out of the body and uh, then noticing what happens with the mind when you try to bring it to one point, to the breath. Um, And over time that practice um, makes you just better able to be in the moment without judgment here and now. And that really changes things. It really allows you to experience life
1: um, much more fully. So the, so the people listening can identify with this. They're watching. Tell us about, well. watching yeah, yeah, I remember television. Um, <laughs> you remember television. No, but yeah. real people, you know. Mm-hmm. You've worked with military. I have. So when you were doing that, First of all, tell us about the resistance you encountered if you did, and secondly how that resistance is broken down by what you said and what did it for them how did they how did soldiers suddenly become meditators oh.
2: well it wasn't sudden that's right. the thing and that it's not sudden usually in all these different settings it requires um, there's always resistance because people think that um, it's new age or it's religious or it means um, kind of dropping back from social involvement um, that it um, that it's selfish and and self-centered lots of reasons people think that um, it means emptying the mind and everybody's mind is so full these days Um, how can I possibly empty my mind so there's all kinds of resistance and it's slightly different in each uh, kind of population that we've worked with In the military, one of the things that they worry about is that they won't any longer be fierce warriors, um, that it will will take away their edge, that they won't be able to do what they need to do. But in fact, um, it's been really incredible um, listening to these Marines and soldiers uh, after they've practiced and um, saying, you know... Other guys thought, you know, that uh, you'd lose your edge. But actually, what I find is that you still got your edge, but you only use it when you need it. Mm. Other times, you can just be there. But in the military now, you, I mean, I don't know if you know, but the military is going through a huge change. It used to be that they um, that you learned how to go into a situation, assess the situation, and then... Use as much force as possible to uh, eliminate it. Basically, um, now in almost every situation that, that where you have boots on the ground, um, that's counterproductive. They're going into villages in Afghanistan. You know, they're they're in. in plenty of parts of the world that we don't focus on, (laughs) but let's just say in in Afghanistan they go into villages, they're looking for, you know, terrorists in these villages, but it's for every civilian that that they kill by going in and using brute force, the village and all the villages around turn against them, and it makes the whole thing so much more difficult, not to mention people who get killed. So, and not to mention... The, um, today when we were talking about um, love, the power of love, I was really thinking about all these soldiers coming back with PTSD. They come back with PTSD because they are acting against their nature. Mm. Uh, they have, the army is really good at teaching people to override their basic instincts and their basic understanding of connection to other humans. And I, I mean, they feel that in certain circumstances, and maybe in former wars, it was really necessary. You had to learn how to totally override your instinct and kill another person. But um, now, very frequently when that happens, it hasn't, it hasn't helped the mission at all. And so they come home, they've not only gone against their basic nature and killed somebody for many people, but it hasn't helped, at least if you feel like you're defending the country, you know, then that's why there weren't so many soldiers in earlier wars that suffered in this way, I think. But um, so anyhow, uh, so the, the mindfulness practice has helped them um, become, you could say, more intuitive. When they go into a village, they talk about how um, they notice things like they can notice whether there's, you know, like a potential weapon under somebody's jacket. They look for the folds in the jacket instead of going right in and going for the guy. They're just, they, they're being in the moment without judgment. They're looking for all the details in the circumstance. Now, the Army has this... Um, this expression situational awareness which they they call SA because you know they everything's acronyms but um they situational awareness is mindfulness they have to they have to cultivate that they have to know what's happening but they were looking at a different level before now they're like looking in a more uh sharing use the word fine a finer way you know mm-hmm. finer grain and they're making Many fewer, um, well, I don't know to call them mistakes, but you know, um, they are moving more toward be- being peacemakers and being ca- being in a counterinsurgency, not an aggressive offensive war.
1: That's so I don't know if
0: you wanted if it, all of that. Oh no. no. <laughs> Do we want it? I think that's core material here. People are, uh-huh. you know, that is one of, We talk a lot about stressors from our yeah. time yeah. when we grew up in the 60s. The war was happening then and so on. And we compare them to the stressors that people are going through now. And certainly these are things that, pe- that are on especially, you know, younger generations' minds. Yeah. Absolutely, for sure. Just to get back at something that's kind of before mindfulness, uh-huh. which is stuff that we've been talking about. It's 2,500 years old. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Sorry, but this but I mean, back. there
2: were things before that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I... One of the other things that we've been talking about here at the retreat is about security, feeling secure, feeling trust. Now, I know... And, and we share this in common, the three of us, so when we met Ram Dass, one of the most immediate things was trust. I absolutely trusted what he was saying. And I knew there was a path. That, that was my first, I mean, I had never had that kind of trust with anybody before. Not my parents, nobody, I mean, I don't remember. Even friends, which, you know, the kind of give and take that's there. So that trust is elemental as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. And secondly, um, the feeling of safety as I got more um, familiar with the path, more familiar. Going to India um, and of course meeting Maharaji, there, there was being in a, in a bubble. Suddenly I could let down and I could uh, open up in a way that I, I wasn't. Uh, afraid of the thoughts that were bumbling mm. through right in front of me. Can you talk a little bit about that? Maybe also your own experience of going back then, where you were before you, you know, encountered. Well,
2: why why do you think you trusted Ramdas when you met him?
0: It was, aside from the um, the words, with, which made the words made sense, but the vibration that I felt from those words literally um, changed my molecular dynamic. I felt completely different. And, and I can only think back and there was that trust. The trust
1: is the... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say Because the words he articulated inside of your stressed brain, talking to you, you know, Do, this happened, it made me guilty. And he admitted what he did. Whoa, who was admitting what they did ever in a public situation or anything at that time? And then you felt released somewhere because he was so honest. yeah, I trusted him because he just, it was an all-inclusive rap, bad, good, indifferent, and I thought, oh, I'm not so terrible. Mm. That was kind of what happened to me. Yeah. Caring, there was a caring there, compassion,
0: that I had never really, an honest compassion, I guess, that engendered the trust mm. coming through. is that?
2: Yeah, well, I think, I thought, you were going to say that you trusted him because um, and this is this is my experience that he was telling the truth and I and I think that's a vibrational thing right. you know yes. that when that he and others I'm, that um, I felt they were telling me the truth and so and it had it has to do with um, that the truth giving us a glimpse because the, the truth based on truth of reality of the interconnection of all phenomena, of all people, of everything and um, that once you if, if you if you sense that someone has a, a, a deep understanding of that interconnection you know that they won't hurt you. I mean, they may do, you know, stuff may happen, but essentially they don't want to hurt you because they don't see you as other. They don't see you as separate from themselves. And um, I, that was my experience with, with Ram Dass and with Maharaji and with other great teachers, you know, is that they know that we're connected. And, and you just, you feel them mirroring you you 're with them, and then, in that case, why would they why would they want to hurt you in any way I mean in, in the broadest sense of safety you know um, so we were talking today about the relationship of love and safety and trust, and that um, one that when you have the experience either of being loved or of um, Of allowing yourself to love fully, that um, then you're in the presence of that interconnection. And I think that that makes us feel very safe because that's the truth of how things are. I mean, things happen, but um, resting in the truth is I just think it gives us a sense of rightness of being, you know. And um, and that's, I know, what a lot of us
1: discovered uh, at that time. When you were working with these, with young people who had been not safe in their mm-hmm. childhood in Chicago, I think you were mm-hmm. saying, how 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 do you restore? I mean, mindfulness, yes, meditation, yeah. yes, but yeah, yeah. ultimately, a really hardened boy or girl who just had no love and maybe no family at all. How do you? Yeah. How did you work
2: with that? Well, you know that I—that wasn't a long-term project for me, and I'm not really an expert in that. But what I have seen is, and what I know in myself is that, really, having a loving person in your life who you can trust—we had—I worked in this uh, program in uh, Springfield, Massachusetts, for a while with young. Um, uh, young African-American men who had mostly dropped out of school, terrible schools, and they dropped out of school and we had this kind of c- holistic, comprehensive program everything from, you know, sneakers to food to our big thing was was getting them prepared to uh, and into college of different kinds. We, we developed the um, James Baldwin Scholars at Hampshire College eventually but, um, but these guys um, so great but um, so one of them uh, uh, I got particularly close to one of these guys and he uh, came to live with us for a while one of the things we did which is really great was we we got them summer jobs for all the reasons you know that created funds but also you know the good work and so on uh, and uh, this was re- really you know kind of worlds coming together. I was part of Saber Foundation then, and one of the founders of, Sa- another founder of Saber Foundation besides Ramdas was Wavy Gravy. And Wavy Gravy, who was part of the Hog Farm, a commune that started in the 60s, and they were like the backstage for the Grateful Dead, and they played a, they played a central role in the unfolding of the hippie 60s. So Wavy um, after all that major activity, started a camp in Northern California called um, uh, Winter Camp Winter Rainbow. And um, there was a point at which, they, right around the time I was working with these guys in Springfield, where they realized that they, they had a lot of children of musicians from San Francisco and L.A., and, they, and children of, of grown-up hippies and so on. But they realized that if they really wanted fabulous camp and the kids were learning amazing things but they realized that it was very kind of narrow in its population and if they really wanted it to teach the kids you know lessons about life at this time that um they needed to diversify both the counselors and the and the campers so um and they didn't so they needed they needed counselors of color right right after they made the decision so I said, well, you know, I could send you some guys from Springfield. So, um, so this one, wonderful guy, tacky. And uh, so he wanted um, a job there. And, I mean, he just wanted a job. And so we, we set him up for this job. And um, he went out there. I mean, he, when he was, I remember when he was leaving, all the guys were sitting on the steps of this house that, that we had. And um, they they had he said he was going to California, and they had no like idea in their minds about what the only thing they knew was nine zero two one zero, that's what they thought was California. They didn't know anything else. It was moments like that were just so touching, you know. But anyhow, off he went, and uh, he went up to camp, and he was a big kid. He taught basketball or something. And, uh, and then he came back. And when he went, uh, this was in the uh, early 90s, I guess. Uh, when he went, he had on um, one of those b- those black hoodies they were all wearing, you know, with the hood pulled down over. And he was looking. He's tall and dark. And, you know, he looked like one of those guys people run away from on the street, right? <laughs> right. So, of course, I loved him. But he, off he went. When he came back... <laughs> When he came back from the summer at Camp Winter Rainbow, he had on um, a tie-dye shirt and these kind of floppy white pants, you know, and he was carrying a blanket, you know. So, you know, because things are just so hang loose, you know. And I said, Tacky, you better get in the car immediately before anybody sees you. Or you're dead. So anyhow, so he came to live with us after. This is all leading up to a story about trust and love. But he came to live with us after that and um, until he could find his own place. And, you know, he we had such a good connection with him and he was totally grateful. But he kept he'd been adopted and he'd been adopted by a family that already had too many kids. And he was kind of... He didn't have parents, and he was like one too many. And he was always... He was never really welcomed. And um, he just always felt unloved and unwanted. And um, so he... When he was living with us, he would do one thing after another to try to destroy our love for him, you know? He would steal things from us. He would... He, and he would lie to us, and he would just... One, it was and it was ridiculous. Like He'd take my tape player, and it was like hanging in his coat pocket in the hallway, and you could see the outline of it in his pocket. And I'd say, Techie, did you take my tape player? No, he said, no, I didn't even know you had a tape player. It was like right there in front of us, but like he was so, you know he was so unskillful because he was desperate he was desperate for love but it was but it was so hard for him to accept yeah. and yeah. what we did basically was you know each time we sat down and said you know these aren't the rules we play by you don't you know steal things from people you live with and like you know, yeah. but each time we said look just you know don't do it again and you know, and it was time after time and, you know, eventually he accepted love. And
1: oh, he did? This is a good ending? Yes.
2: Oh, this is a very happy ending. Good, good. And um, later he got married. He married someone. He'd met the um, son of two Jewish psychotherapists from Berkeley. Okay.
1: <laughs> makes, makes sense.
2: <laughs> and um, E.J., my partner, and I were his parents at the wedding, you know, because um, uh, he didn't have any family at all to be there. But he really did over time of just like being there over and over again. And all we did, we didn't do anything. We didn't have any therapeutic techniques. Mm -hmm. We just kept loving him. Mm -hmm. So I, the the way in which love and safety and trust are all interconnected Mm -hmm. is, it's subtle and but it's absolutely real. Yeah.
0: It's, it's the one common denominator of any tradition, but more, I mean, His Holiness uh, obviously is the emblem for kindness is my only religion, yeah. you know, those kinds of things. And that Krishna
1: does frequently at the end of the kirtan will say, just be kind to people, because that's so hard. I know. You know, and, yeah. and very effectively says that, you know, because people are so open up for exactly. two hours of yeah. kirtan. Yeah. Right. And it's so striking that it's well, so simple. Well,
2: well, that's important because love opens, and then you can hear um, the truth.
1: Yes. Yeah. Back, John, is it still light here? Barely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. okay. All right. So, well, let's just
0: well, we'll do a little bit of a wrap. Yeah. Um, I can feel it. Uh, yeah, we dark. feel it's getting quite dark here. But that's since good. we're also using this as a podcast. <laughs> oh. Right. It doesn't really matter. Oh, that's right. We can stay here so until right. the middle of the night. I but, forgot about that. Right? But uh, right. uh, just, uh, we want to thank you. Yes. yes. Thank you. And we also want I to thought say,
2: we were going to talk about psychedelics and buffalo and. and well, we, well yeah, I know we don't need to <laughs> well, We might get there. We
0: might get there. But uh, we, you never know what's <laughs> going to come. <laughs> but we also want to say, uh, Mirabai does uh, has a wonderful uh, CD out around ma- mindfulness called
2: Working with Mindfulness, and it's available at mirabaibush.com and go. morethansound.net.
0: And uh, please uh, do. Uh, I mean, you, uh, we are also uh, wanting you to uh, come back. You we'll see, I don't know when. Could be tomorrow. And, uh, Mirabai has stories upon stories upon stories that uh, uh, going back to. I, I Look, I don't care if it's dark. Tell one story. Right. We have to tell right. one story. Yeah. About what? Uh, when you first went to. Because we talked to Sharon, oh. and her entry into obviously was Bodhgaya, and that's our intersection on so many levels Bodhgaya and those Vipassana meditation uh-huh. courses. You were there and your first meeting with Ramda. Just tell that story.
2: (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, I met Sharon Salzberg on the street in New Delhi (laughs) (laughs) when I went to India thinking I'd be in India for about two weeks. I ended up staying for two years. But uh, it all began when Sharon told me that there was a meditation course for Westerners being taught by a Burmese teacher. In Bogaya, the place where the Buddha was enlightened, and um you know, I hadn't gone to India to learn to meditate i I went well i went i was I went o- overland through Europe and the Middle East and into Asia, really looking for meaning, I would say you know really I, I'd never meditated, and i didn't know that would be one of the ways to find it, but I needed to make sense of what. I had glimpsed through psychedelics. So um, she told me this, and it was was kind of at the level of, well, you know, we tried wine and cheese in France. We'll try meditation in (laughs) India. And um, so I went there. And um, in those days, it was not easy to get there, and you had to go on various modes of transportation. We ended up... I think you entered on a tanga in those years right? A horse drawn cart and um, pulled up out in front and um, of the monastery and I was with my uh, partner then and, and we got off and out in front of the monastery I saw this little a group of um, people. They were as I remember all male and um, they were dressed in white and um, one of them Uh, One of them was clearly just was beaming charisma, and the others were all listening to him. And, um, you know, uh, they were asking him questions, and I was sort of standing. I was trying to figure out what was happening before I entered the monastery gates. And uh, he seemed to be giving some kind of a teaching. And um, they looked, I mean, we were still... We'd come overland. We were hippies, you know. I had a patchwork skirt on that mm-hmm. I had made myself, mm-hmm. and um, uh, and something from you know Turkey with fur, and so <laughs> um, and so here they all were in their white. They looked to me a good, having grown up a good Catholic girl. It looked like Jesus and the apostles. I, that was my first thought. And um, everybody's hair was long, of course, in those days. And uh, so I walked a little closer because um, he seemed to be saying something to them, and they were all listening with rapt attention. As I got closer, I realized that what they were discussing was it was Ramdas and friends of his, and he was saying how many cookies he thought that he that each person needed to buy in order to make it through this ten day retreat. <laughs> <laughs> That was my first glimpse wow. of Ramdas. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and how appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for everything. Thanks for being on Mind Rolling Podcast. And we, uh, but we're going to get with you again.
2: Love the name. Who came up with the name?
0: Uh, I, uh, I'll mention it again because we have to give all kudos to Min Rolling Jetson Kondro Rinpoche, who I love. He's amazing. Who is, is the most amazing Lama who uh, gives this, uh, I was turned on to her because she did a thing called Transforming Disturbing Emotions. And I thought I had quite a few of those, so I actually went uh-huh. online, and uh, that's where I found her. <laughs> and, and and I thought, who's the only other person that could have more disturbing negative emotions and thoughts than me? And it was David Silver, so yeah. Yeah. here we are, and that's why we're doing this.
1: <laughs> that's terrible.
0: <laughs> Thank you, everybody. See you next time. Thank you, Mirabai. That was great. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody, to uh, this uh, latest uh, Mind Rolling podcast on location with uh, Mirabai Bush. And uh, David, it was pretty damn
1: good to get this kind of information about mindfulness from her, no? It was great, and it was actually just great to hang out with her. She's just fabulous, and, you know, uh, we were outside for this one, and which is no, which is really not a problem in Maui, but if there was a little wind noise or something, just excuse us for that, because we were outside uh, by a small putting course, if I remember rightly. Putting? There's no putting. putting?
0: Putting golf! Jeez. Like mi- miniature golf type yes, of deal. Putty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Again, we're going to remind you, we, we, uh, we hope to have as much as your, of your support as possible through our audibletrial.com uh, uh, slash mindrolling, going there and getting a nice free audio book. And then we get a little, I think we get 15 bucks for everybody who signs up. So uh, you get a, a wonderful subscription to, I mean, it's great because you can drive around to put it on your smartphone or whatever you want and have it uh, anywhere you want uh, where you're traveling. It's it's a, it's a great thing. And also, uh, you know, go to our Amazon portal on the site. We get a little piece of that. That would be great. And uh, hit the donation button if you feel it, too. We appreciate you all, and we'll see you next week.
1: Yeah, thanks for listening.